Amen. As we continue through our line-by-line, verse-by-verse study in the book of Luke, we now come to another confrontation between Jesus and a religious leader. We've seen this before. We will see it again before it's done. And, they, they, and, and the Sabbath is in the heart of this, which is one of the accusations that they will have for Jesus when they arrest him. We're going to get to the arrest. We're going to get to the trial. We're going to see that they try to make a few things stick. He said he would tear down the temple. He said he was a king. He broke the Sabbath. Those are three areas that they come against Jesus on when in fact Jesus is a king but was not committing insurrection against Rome. In fact, Jesus kept the Sabbath, but he broke their special rules. You ever know anybody that has special rules? There are things that are wrong, just they're inherently wrong to do, right? There's just inherent things wrong. But then there are people that come up with special rules. And if you break their special rules, then you'll be in trouble with them. Well, these Pharisees had their special rules. And, and it's one of the things that makes them Pharisees. They feel like they're superior because they have special rules and you break them. And by the way, I think that, that um, uh, evangelicalism can do that as well that we can come up with our special rules, always think it's a mistake, and then act like we're more spiritual because we keep rules other, you know, evangelicals don't. We have our special rules. It's very pharisaical to do that. And so Jesus will have this confrontation with this Pharisee here. We want to talk about a couple of things that, that come up in this passage. We want to talk about infirmities, sicknesses, and whether or not Satan is involved in them at all because that comes up in the text. And the Bible has, surprisingly, a lot to say about that. We want to talk about the Sabbath day and whether or not we're making a mistake by going to church on Sunday instead of Saturday, since in the Ten Commandments, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's Saturday. It's actually sundown from Friday to sundown on Saturday. So we're going to ask the question, are we making a mistake? Should we change things? Should we be here yesterday morning? And we just get up and go right now because uh, we aren't keeping the Sabbath. So we'll talk about that. So I want to start in verse 10 where we get this conflict as it starts. So verse 10 of Luke chapter 13, it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Jesus began his ministry by teaching in a synagogue in Nazareth, and now as he's making his way to Jerusalem, we're very late in the ministry of Jesus by chapter 13. He's on his way to Jerusalem. It's his last time there. And, and he's going to be arrested when he gets there. And he stops in a synagogue, and we're not told where. And he, uh, and he teaches while he's there. And then it says, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and could by no me- way raise herself up. So she has a spirit of infirmity and she can't stand up straight. And she's had this for 18 years. So the word spirit mean is the in the Greek is pneumo. We get pneumonia from it. It's connected to breath and spirit in the Bible can refer to a few different things. It can refer to a an angel or a demon. It could refer to an attitude just like it does in English, by the way, I could say, man, you know what? That guy has a spirit of hospitality. And what I mean by that is that you are just a very hospitable person, that your spirit, your, your, 
personality is to be very hospitable. It, and it personifies hospitality. He has the spirit of hospitality. It personifies it. And so in the Greek, they would use this term that way as well. So he could be saying he has a spirit of infirmity, meaning the infirmity is being personified. Could be what it means. I don't think it is because of a statement Jesus makes later on in this text. And we'll get there. I think he's talking about some kind of a demonic force that has allowed this infirmity in our life. And here's the thing that we ask when we, when we hear that. Is that a thing? <laughs> can, can the devil attack me? And can he make me sick? Can I have a physical infirmity from a, the, the devil? And if that's the case, what should I do? How should I deal with that if that's the case? And, and uh, so let's deal with that now. Let's look at that now. Um, sicknesses, I think, obviously are, can happen to us just because we're part of humanity. Um, and, and sicknesses happen to people. And we're people and sicknesses happen. But I also think that the enemy can be involved in it. And we see this in the book of Job. We see that Job gets a sickness and that Satan, the, which just means the opponent, the opponent of God, went up before him and God said, what, what have you been doing? And say, they just have a conversation, which is really funny to me. God and, and the arch enemy, what are you doing? I've been, I've been hanging out on the earth. I've been going back and forth on the earth, checking out men. And God says, um, have you considered Job? God brings up Job. And then all these bad things happen to Job. Some have often said, I hope God doesn't bring me up to Satan when, have you considered my servant Robert? No, please, God, don't do that. But he allows Satan to be able to hurt Job, but, but keeps it within a parameters. He, he keeps him from going hog wild. He doesn't allow him to do everything that he wants to do. And I think that we can always be confident of this. Remember that Jesus said to Peter, Satan has been asking for you to sift you like we, but be of good cheer. Or he didn't say be of good cheer. He says, but I've prayed for you. And when you have been restored, strengthen the brethren. Can you think about the emotional, the, the emotions that uh, Peter went through when he heard that statement from Jesus? Satan's been asking to sift you like wheat. What? But I've prayed for you. Whew, good. And when you're restored, what? Strengthen the brethren. It's like, if you've prayed for me, then why do I have to be restored? Right? But God had a purpose in allowing Satan to sift him like wheat. God's got a purpose. I, I don't only think of this about an illness that may have some kind of a demonic connection, but I think it's about suffering and illness in general in the world. God's got a purpose for it. God's always got a purpose for what we're going through. God delivers us sometimes. God may have you going through something simply to deliver you. God may have a purpose of things he wants to work out in your life. And the great example of God using suffering, even evil, to bring about good is the cross. Je Jesus went to the cross, suffered at the hands of evil men so that people could get saved to do a great work. And that's the example. And so in a smaller way, God could use suffering and even evil in our lives to bring about what God wants to bring about. The question, if God is good, then why does he allow evil and suffering in the world, which is an accusation against God, presupposes that God doesn't have a purpose in suffering and evil. But God has a purpose. Clearly, the Bible teaches us that God has purposes in these things. It's the way God does things. Now, you say, I would never do it that way. Well, we understand that. The Bible says that. God's not a man. God's ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And then it says this, and God's ways are better. We think, well, if I were, you know, God, I'd have everybody well. Nobody's sick. 
but God's way is better. You say, well, I don't really like that. Well, let's look at a couple of things here. Let's look at Paul. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 and 9, talks about a thorn in his flesh that has been given to, given to him by uh, a... Well, let's, let's read what he says exactly. That way I'll, I'll get it right. So in verse 7, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation... Paul was given great revelation by God. He's talking specifically about actually, probably when he was stoned in Lystra and left for dead, that he, he has a trip to heaven. You see these books out there today where people go to heaven and come back and tell you what they are? Well, Paul had a trip to heaven. I don't know whether, I, I can't ever read those books, by the way, because I always think that's, <laughs> it's not biblical. But um, Paul says, this, the greatness of this revelation, I could have come back and been puffed up, but God wanted to keep him humble. So in verse 11, it says, and behold, oh, excuse me, in verse, well, in verse seven, after talking about this revelation, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be puffed up above measure, a thorn in my flesh was given me by a messenger of Satan. So a thorn in the flesh, a lot of people say, well, this is temptation. Well, this was a person like the silversmith in Ephesus that attacked Paul. Paul said, he hurt me greatly, but it doesn't make sense. And, and I think you'll see that as it unfolds, that it's got to be some kind of an infirmity that Paul has. So Paul says, um, lest I should be exalted above measure. So he knows God's purpose in this thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan that's been sent to buffet him is so that he won't be puffed up. All of us have tendencies to pride and the greater God uses us, the more prideful we can become. And so Paul knows that. And so then he goes on to say, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient to you for, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He prayed three times that he would be delivered. God said, no, my strength is my grace is sufficient for you. And, and my strength is perfected in weakness, which is a great principle. We learn that also in Hebrews chapter 11, that in our weakness, God is made strong. I've pointed out before that Charles Swindoll, great, one of my favorite teachers, by the way, uh, stuttered as a child. Just like God to take a kid who stutters and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use him to speak to a generation about the Word of God. It's just like God to do it. We, we could talk about our weaknesses and the way that God uses our weaknesses to be able for his strength. And so God does that here with Paul. Then he says, therefore, most gladly, I rather boast in my infirmities. So infirmities, we get our word infirmary from it. It means sickness. So Paul says, I boast in my illness. I boast in my sickness. Paul isn't delivered. By the way, there are these people out there in the faith movement who will teach that God always wants you well. God wants you rich. And it's not true. I, God may want you well and rich. All right. I'm not saying that. God doesn't want everybody well and rich. And this is a false teaching and this really speaks to it because Paul is an apostle. And they'll say to you, if you don't, if you're poor, they'll say you don't have enough faith. If you're sick, you don't have enough faith. And this speaks directly against that. And then at the very end, he says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I'd rather have this infirmity that God's power might be revealed in me. Now, he talks about it again to the Galatians. The Galatians are up in the, in the northern region of Turkey, there's, there's two towns there Paul visits, Phrygia and Galatia. And that tells you everything you need to know about their, those towns. They're cold. They're up right up on the northern part of Turkey and it's frigid and 
like, you know, glacial. And so he says in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 4, you know that because of a physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. Paul wanted to go right and go into Asia, into India. Paul wanted to turn with the message of the gospel through Turkey and go over to Asia. But in Acts, we're told the Holy Spirit forbade him. Now we learn that when he gets to Galatia, he has a physical infirmity. The Holy Spirit forbids them from going in, it looks like, because of an infirmity by Paul. So what does he do? He ministers to the Galatians. He wasn't planning on it, but he does because of his physical infirmity. He goes on to say here then, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. So like the thorn in the flesh, he's got a trial in his flesh and they don't despise him because of it. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. When, uh, what then were the blessings you enjoyed? For I bear witness, oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, for I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So as he's talking about this infirmity that he ministered to the Galatians there, he says, you guys didn't despise me because of it, but you would have plucked out your own eyes. I think it's pretty clear here. I think we can be fairly confident that Paul had some kind of an eye disease. Some say that he had bulging eyes. Some say that he had, you know, certain kind, a certain kind of disease with his eyes and it hindered him. This is further supported by the fact that when Paul gets to the end of one of his letters, there, they were forged, there were a lot of letters forged saying that they were Paul's. So Paul says, when you get a letter from me, this is how I end the letter with these giant letters. He's not talking about the length of the letter. He's talking about that because he has an eye problem, he has to write very large to be able to write it. And, they, and he wants them to know, this is how I end the letters. He dictates most of it, but then at the end, he writes something out in his own hand so they'll know that it comes from Paul. Probably an eye disease. Now, this is important because even though God may allow Satan to, to cause some kind of difficulty in your life, God's the one who's in control. You have authority over the devil. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, the evil one cannot touch you. Jesus said in Luke 10, Behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you. Jesus said, how do you plunder a strong man? You get someone stronger than the strong man to take from him what he has. So Satan is the strong man, stronger than you and I. If we have to fight against Satan, we'll lose. But we have the stronger than the strong man who can plunder his goods. That's how come we're effective in storming the gates of hell. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against you. We're effective in storming it because of Jesus. I like what Greg Laurie says when he says, when the devil knocks on my door, I send Jesus to answer it. <laughs> and when we pray about a work that we may, we may feel like, you know what, I think Satan is involved here. Then we pray, God, bind him. Lord, bind him. Jesus, bind him. The Bible says that demons tremble at the name of Jesus. They believe and they tremble. And, and so we call out upon the name of Jesus and we trust in him and we know that God's got his plans and purposes for illnesses. And the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. And the Bible says that God's going to heal those who are sick. So God does heal. Doesn't mean he heals everyone, but God does heal. So let's go on here now. So with this spirit that has caused this infirmity in this, this woman, it says here in verse 14, uh, excuse me, in verse 12, but when Jesus saw her, 
he called her to himself and said to her, which is interesting to me as well. You would think that if you have a lady, she's been over. I'm going to assume she can't walk very well. She's got problems, right? And Jesus says, come to me. And here she comes shuffling. I don't know how long it took for her to get there. It'd be more efficient if Jesus went to her. We might even think it would be more compassionate if Jesus went to her. But this is a point of faith from this woman when he says to her, come to, to, come to me. And if you need help, you got to go to Jesus. Like this woman, Jesus said, come to me, you've got to go to Jesus. God may be drawing you, but you have to respond by coming to Christ. And if there's something going on in your life right now, if there's something that's out of your control and you need help, then come to Jesus. Jesus is able to meet you where you are and help you. You might have to shuffle your way to him, but he's able to rescue you. He's able to help you. And so um, he, then he said to her, woman, you are loosed of your infirmity. He didn't rebuke a demon. We're told it was a spirit of infirmity. He didn't rebuke a demon. He said, you are loosed of your infirmity. It's interesting when Jesus healed, he spoke to them and they were healed. To a man with the withered hand, he said, stretch out your hand. He didn't say, listen, I want to pray for you now. He didn't go through a great kind of hubbub on how to pray for the person who was sick because Jesus is God and he can speak to sickness and have it leave. And so he rebukes the infirmity and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So immediately in the synagogue, there, she, was, she was straightened up. What a great day in church, right? You go to church, there's somebody who has a, an obvious physical ailment and she's healed. What a great day. Except if you're the ruler of the synagogue and then you got a problem. And that's in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Indignation is anger. He's mad. How dare you heal a woman in my synagogue? He's upset. It's amazing when we become spiritually proud, the things that we can get upset at. We can be upset that people have been set free. And so the ruler of the synagogue says, uh, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, he said to the crowd, there are six days on which you ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. What a mean and awful thing to say. By the way, that's his own little rule. The Old Testament never said you couldn't heal on the Sabbath day. If you were a doctor, you were not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. But if somebody was injured and needed care, the doctor could care for them. He wasn't just supposed to have checkups for people, but if he had to help someone, he could help them. And we're going to see that a little bit more as we go on here. But the scribes and Pharisees added their own rules to what the Bible says about the Sabbath day. God had made a, uh, a um, covenant with the nation of Israel for the Sabbath day. And there were two things the Bible tells them. Number one, that they couldn't work on that day. Number two, that they weren't to leave their house. If they do leave their house, they can't go more than a quarter of a mile. That's how come you find some in the, in the synagogue. It never says to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And, and, and they wrote all kinds of rules of what you could and couldn't do. If uh, you couldn't carry burdens on the Sabbath, because that would be work. And so people that had wooden teeth, which is just frightening to think of having to have wooden teeth, People who had wooden teeth in their day couldn't wear them because that was like a burden. I got to go meet that guy. I can't even put my teeth in, you know. Hello there. How about you? It's the Sabbath day. The Bible never said they couldn't put it in, so they took it too far. And there are people today that do the same thing. There are Sabbatarians today 
who say that you guys have taken the mark of the beast because you go to church on Saturday. But the Bible never says keeping the Sabbath day is going to church on Saturday. They're just like the scribes and Pharisees. They have rewrote the Sabbath and then claim you break it. They rewrote the Sabbath and claim Jesus broke it. They're doing the same thing to you. And I do want to talk a little bit about the Sabbatarians. These are people that go to church on Saturday. I want to say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you're free. The Bible says we of all people are the most free. Jesus said who the Son of Man is set free is free indeed. And if you want to go to church on Saturday, you can go to church on Saturday. Never does the Bible say that you have to go to church on Sunday. But neither does it say you have to go to church on Saturday. You, you're free to be able to do it. And, and if you have a group of people or you go to a church, you want to go to a church that meets on Saturday, then you're free to do that. That's our freedom. When the, the problem is, is when people say, and this happens when you have something unique in your faith that's different than most people, it happens often that you think that that unique thing makes you closer to God. Because we go to church on Saturday, that makes us closer to God. So I'm, I'm listening to some um, videos. I'm just doing some research on Sabbatarians. And by the way, I discovered this about the Seventh-day Adventists, who are Sabbatarians, that there's a movement in the Seventh-day Adventist church and that many of them are moving away from salvation by the day you go to, to church to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a move within these churches to turn away from legalism and to turn towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is absolutely awesome, by the way, that they would do that. That's hard for a church or an organization to do, to say what we've been teaching is wrong, but we're going to now begin to teach what the Bible says is true. That's not all Seventh-day Adventist churches. It's a movement inside the Seventh-day Adventist movement where there are certain churches that are moving towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is phenomenal. Um, but, so I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush. But there are those who will rework what the, gospel, what the Bible says about the Sabbath and then say, you're breaking it. My response to them is, I don't follow your rules. I want to follow what the Bible says. And they'll say, well, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that um, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So you're not keeping the Ten Commandments. But I am. I, I like to tell them I don't keep the Ten Commandments. That's how I like to respond, just to be kind of contrary to them. But I am because gee, I don't, people don't give sacrifices today, but the law said to, to give sacrifices. Why aren't we giving sacrifices when, when Numbers and, and Exodus and Leviticus tell us to make sacrifices? Because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice on the cross and completed the whole concept of sacrifices. So we're not under the law anymore because Jesus became the sacrifice. We don't have a high priest today because Jesus became the high priest that gave the sacrifice. And we don't keep the Sabbath today because Jesus has become our Sabbath. Uh, Hebrews chapter four. He is our rest. Come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's why we don't keep the Sabbath day. But they will say that you are, you've taken the mark of the beast. Um, and another thing I discovered as I was just kind of watching some videos on YouTube made by Sabbatarians, that oftentimes they would use the word Joshua to speak of Jesus. They would say Joshua instead of Jesus. And I thought, well, that's just a little peculiar, that this is a theme that we see, which I guess doesn't surprise me because they're overly, um, they're wanting to keep, they're overly legalistic. And so they, they, they want to go back to Hebrew. And so then I finally found a video with some, something like um, why you should never call Jesus by the English name Jesus. Because Jesus is the anglicized version of the Hebrew Joshua. And so they say that if you call in the name of Jesus or you pray in the name of Jesus, you're not, you don't really have power 
You got to call him Joshua. You got to pray in the name of Joshua in order to really have power like God wouldn't know who you're talking about. But here's the thing. And, and he went on to a whole thing about why, you know, they really were serving God and no one else is. But here's the thing. In the New Testament, it's written in Greek. And it tells us when Paul said, you know, we, we call out upon our great Lord and Savior, Jesus, Paul uses the Greek word for Jesus, which is isos or isos. Isos, I guess, is what it is. I'm horrible when it comes to Greek and Hebrew pronunciations, but it's isos. So then Paul, when he writes to them, may you be blessed in, in isos, whatever the Greek, isos Christos, that's the Greek for Christ, then Paul isn't, doesn't have the same power these guys have when they use Joshua Mashiach, Joshua Messiah. So biblically, we know that all over the world, there are people in all kinds of languages using their version of what G Joshua is. So Jesus, as I said, is the anglicized version of, of Esos, of the Greek word. And so there's not a problem. If there is a problem, then the Bible has the wrong place. And this is what happens with Phariseeism. We end up getting, feeling like we're superior because what we do is a little better. And you should run from that. You should flee from it. Leave all spiritual pride behind. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And if you, all of us have something inside of us. I wish this wasn't the case, but it is. We have something inside of us that makes us want people to think that we are more spiritual than we are. I've got it. You've got it. We all have it. And so sometimes we'll act away like we're superior. And we all have those dangers. Pastors have those dangers. Because a pastor can often, you know, you'll hear a story from a pastor from the pulpit and they're always, they're, they're always the hero of the story. And you wonder, do you ever tell the story where you're not the hero? So the people will think, I, I just really love the Lord. We just could fall into being Pharisees. Uh, I'll pray before the service. So they carry the pulpit out. I come over here and I stand and I pray. So they're bringing the pulpit out and it doesn't distract. And I don't know, a couple years ago, I'm praying a prayer and I think in my mind, this is a really good prayer. And I realize at that moment, I'm like the Pharisees. I'm praying to myself. I'm praying because I think this is a good prayer. And I'm thinking you're going, what a great prayer. When you're not, you're probably going, I wish he'd stop. It's time for him to be done. He's already prayed enough. You're, praying, you're thinking something. You're not thinking what great my prayer is. That's what we end up thinking. Now, let's just consider a couple of things about the Sabbath day. Number one, it is part of the Ten Commandments. But here's, here's God establishing the Sabbath in Exodus 31, 12. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. There were not only Sabbaths of days, but there were Sabbaths of years. Who was supposed to keep the Sabbaths? The children of Israel. Never in the New Testament are we told to keep the Sabbath. We're not told to go to church on Saturday either, by, on Sunday either, by the way. But in Acts, we don't have them keeping the Sabbath, but we do have them going to church on Sunday which is the reason we do it. We don't do it because we've been told to go to church on Sunday. They gathered together on what they called the Lord's Day, which was Sunday. They did that in the book of Acts, so we continue it on. They didn't practice keeping the Sabbath in the Acts. In any of the epistles, it doesn't say you should keep the Sabbath. You should make sure you go to church on Saturday. It doesn't say that. And don't you think if it was really salvation, and this is what Sabbatarian churches teach, you are saved because you go to church on Saturday, if that were really salvation, then don't you think God would have put it in here? What, what is real salvation? When you believe in Christ and you trust him with your life, you find that hundreds of times in the epistles. 
You find people getting saved, like the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts, and they do that by believing in Jesus and surrendering to him. Not one time does it ever say that we can be legalistic and be saved. We got to watch our dietary laws for food. We got to keep go to church on Saturday. We got to be, you know, we got to say the word Joshua in order to really be saved. We got to use the right name to be. Never does it say any of that. The Bible would have given us that direction. So it goes on to talk about this more. And it says several times in this section between um, in, in Exodus 12 until 16 that they are to keep the Sabbath and it's Israel. I want to go back down to verse 17 now where it says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day he rested. So it's not a sign to the church. It's a sign to Israel. And God is still working with the nation of Israel today. God had prophecies that said that they would be a nation again and they are a nation again. And so we follow him because of that. Let me just give you a couple of verses that tell us how we are supposed to respond to the Sabbath day today. Colossians 2.16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink. That's kosher meals. Let no one judge you in food or drink or in regard to festivals. There were seven Jewish festivals a year, seven, or a new moon, which is a celebration in Judaism, or Sabbaths. It says, don't let anybody judge you along these lines. And then he says this in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is in Christ. Don't let anybody lay a trip on you that you have to keep the law. They're out there. They are out there telling you that you have to keep the law. You're going to run into them. Don't let them do that. Tell them, no, I'm free. I'm going to stay free. I'm, I'm using my freedom for Christ rather than these other things. Let me give you one more. This is Galatians 4, 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those things which by nature were not God's. And now after you have known God or rather been known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He's saying to the Galatians, I brought you Christ and you were set free. And now you're going back to these beggarly elements which are in the law. Don't get caught up and be pharisaical. Now, we could talk about making sure that we don't, that we were, that we're free to be able to worship God on whatever day we want to. But the greater lesson for us is that we aren't like Pharisees, that we've got to watch ourselves because spiritual pride is a very real thing and we can all fall into it. There's none of us that are above it. We can all begin to think that we are superior because we're closer to Jesus, because we do more for Jesus, because of whatever it is that you get the temptation that you're superior. Jesus kept his harshest words for the Pharisee, Pharisees, we don't want to be modern day evangelical Pharisees, right? So let's get back to the text now. So Jesus heals her. This guy's mad. And so he rebukes them. And then Jesus responds, verse 15. The Lord answered and said, hypocrite, which is pretty direct. This guy doesn't address Jesus. He addresses the crowd. You have six days to come and be healed. Come and be healed. And he says, hypocrite, um, the Lord said to him, hypocrite, does, do, uh, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it to water it? So ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. Now we get the idea that this infirmity was some kind of demonic activity. Even though he rebuked the infirmity, he didn't have to rebuke the devil, he rebuked the infirmity. But now he says Satan had bound her. So the spirit of infirmity would be speaking of some kind of, of a demonic spirit. 
So he says um, that Satan is bound. Think of it, Jesus says. Think of it for eight, uh, 18 years. But loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And, which, uh, and when he had said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame and the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So they had a donkey. On the day of Sabbath, it has to have water. So they would take it out of its stall. They would bring it over to water and let it drink and then bring it back. That could be considered work as much as him healing on the Sabbath. So he says, you hypocrite. You do this, you have compassion on a donkey is what he's saying, but you don't have compassion on this woman that's been bound by, by Satan for 18 years. Our self-pride, our spiritual pride often is there at the, at the hurt of compassion. Because we are prideful, because we get caught up in that spiritual pride, it often means that we are not compassionate towards the people around us. And that's these guys. They're religious leaders. They should be greatly compassionate, but they aren't. May we understand that God's got a purpose in everything we go through. May we also fight spiritual pride. And if somehow we're, we're pharisaical, may God really speak to us today. And I realize, you know, when you teach something like this, often it hits the wrong people. People who are pharisaical are often going, yeah, you know, it's like, no, no, you, you, you. All right, stand with me and uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is rich and powerful and meaningful. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and forgive us when we think we're better than other people because we know you. So we've been given salvation and it's a free gift and we end up thinking that we're better. Forgive us that we have this propensity to try to be spiritual and to be, be more spiritual than other people around us. Help us to be compassionate instead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.